and welcome to Behind the Scaffolding, a podcast where we talk to writing teachers about the hows and whys of what we do in the classroom, coming to you from the University of Michigan. I'm Angie Berkeley. And I'm Gina Brandolino. Angie, the new school year is here, and there's lots to prepare and think about. We're bringing you an episode about something we're pretty sure teachers everywhere, and especially writing teachers, are trying to use or get their heads around and that's generative AI. Yes, for sure, that is so true. I know it's true for us, starting last winter even, when ChatGPT burst onto the scene and into our classes. Gina, I think it's fair to say that we are both, are, were, not totally sure, pretty skeptical about this new technology and what it was going to do to how students learn to think and write. Yeah, that's for sure. But it's also true that these tools aren't going anywhere. And they are pretty amazing. And we know we're going to have to reckon with them and hopefully help our students to do even more than just reckon with them. But, you know, a more that's about learning and not about cheating. Yes, exactly. And so we thought, who better to talk to than our very own Phil Cameron, who we suspected was a more enthusiastic student of AI than we were. And we were right. And we're so glad that Phil came and talked with us for this episode. Phil is an instructional designer at the University of Michigan Language Resource Center and a lecturer for the Marsau Family School of Education here at the U of M. And he describes his teaching philosophy as one that applies student-centered justice and empowerment-oriented pedagogies and systems to everything he does. And some of you might recognize Phil's name from our end of episode credits. And remember that Phil was one of our early supporters and helped us really get our podcast off the ground on the tech side. So we were doubly glad to host him. One final note, I had COVID when we taped our conversation. So I sound a bit throaty and also a bit cranky in the conversation. Okay, have a listen. All right, hi Phil. Thanks for coming to talk with us about Gen AI. How you doing? doing all right thank you mostly excited by gen ai uh it saved me like tens of hours of work so far so pretty pleased about that okay well let's just like dive right in with that how do you use it tell us how you feel about it and how you use it yeah um i am optimistic because it gets rid of the first draft issue so i have used it to write first drafts for two letters of recommendation and two sets of instructions, as well as a paragraph contextualizing generative AI-informed discussions. So I'm just all in on on using it, is is where I'm at. Oh, okay. I mean, that sort of answers my first question, which was like, where are you on the spectrum that we've been seeing, you know, that that is anywhere from, oh my gosh, it's going to and the world and all of human intelligence. And like, it's amazing, right? So what would you say then to somebody who is further along the the dark end of that spectrum than you are? By dark, you mean um, less less into it or more into it? Less into it. Less into it. Less into it. Scared of it. Worried that it's going to like destroy all of our creativity and learning and, you know, all that. For someone who is less into generative AI than me, Usually where I'll start with is, so it can do a lot for you, and you know it's not good in work-safe language, and so start there, and then just critique it 
and edit it until it's good. Ah, okay. That well, is why really, not start there? Yep. Right, right. That is a really helpful way to think about it. Could I trouble that though for please, a second? I mean, because I have uh, friends who work in various professions where they, you know, professional writers uh, who, who do precisely the kind of thing that you have just described, you know, where you use it to write a, like a first draft that is just sort of getting the guts on, on the page. Mm-hmm. I think the problem for me as a writing teacher is the creation of a first draft is its own kind of learning process. Yes, for a I was going to say that too. <laughs> right? And I mean, mm-hmm. we have a name for it. It's called invention, right? Mm-hmm. We have steps that you go, we don't think that you can generally hand this off to a computer. We, we think a lot of learning happens in that stage. So can you talk a little bit about how that learning is, is not, well, ruined is a strong word, but you know. Mm-hmm. As a writer and as like a game designer who does invention, right? I agree with you. And the computer generated rough first draft is just more research and development now, right? So it used to be that students would either already have domain-specific knowledge that they'd write about, right? Like I know about this or I can imagine the horror story or whatever. Um, And they either have that or they go out and they research it, like find a topic that you're interested in. And then after they do that research, then they write their first draft. Now the step in between, if you want it to be, and it doesn't have to be, is have an AI put their thoughts on the paper and then critique it, right? And it's not their thoughts, right? Like AI are not smart. They are just a billion monkeys with a typewriter and you get the best one. That's the process of invention always starts with interrogation. And I don't think that that's changed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with AI, right? There will be students that don't interrogate what AI gives them. And for many students, what AI gives will likely be more grammatically sound. And that's fine. And that's the new starting place. So it really is kind of um, rising tides lift all boats in that case, in my opinion. Okay. So that, that, that what's produced by the AI is really just one more idea out there. It can be, yeah. And, and from my own experiments in AI writing fiction, the AI that is most accessible is bad at specifics. Yes. Um, this, this is what I have found, too, in my limited experience testing it out on some of my prompts and seeing my students use it, is that that's really... Yep falls apart (laughs) yeah like it can do broad strokes like it can do i've had it write a bunch of different fairy tales and for me in particular it always resorts to a character named ember and a character (laughs) named puck which has like you know particular issues but those stories are always broad strokes it's never sitting down and having a conversation at a table it's always and then blah lard like each chapter is basically a sentence uh, from a granularity or a scale and scope perspective. Right. The thing that I always think about though, is like, if you're, you're writing a fairy tale, you know, or you're designing a game, you're in this place where you want to make the best fairy tale you're going to be able to make, and you want to make the best game you're going to want to be able to make. But I mean, I, I just worry for students who that's not the place they're in. They're just trying to get it done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it sort of reminds me, I mean, what you said about how what it produces is grammatically better or smoother or, mm-hmm. you know, in that way. And I think that's so, that still has such an allure 
for students. Like so many students still think that that's what good writing is. So that's what they're <laughs> going to choose, you know, and trust. Mm -hmm. And so I, so I worry, I worry about that. So because AI exists, right? Like changes should be made. And I think giving examples of really good literature that askew uh, and train spotting and the one that came before that, that's about the tapeworm and the cop uh, come to mind. And these are literary works that have worth and like are well critically regarded, right? But use phonetic Scottish language, I think. And like AI might be able to do that i haven't tested it but it's not going to be nearly as accurate as like it's english right so right 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 i mean it's another argument for diversifying the canon in various ways it's very much an argument for diversifying yeah. the canon. like there's a whole there's a large group of people at u of m right now that are like this was designed by like middle-aged to young white men and that's generally the voice you're going to get from it so stop um right from ai and, right like the, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah no, the, totally uh -huh. Yeah, ChatGPT4 was trained on like the large canon and by and large that's just middle-aged to old white men. Like it's right. it is what it is. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Which yeah. is terrifying, but mm -hmm. if you use it as a first draft and then you interrogate it, hopefully seeing that and making that explicit to students will help them find their own voice because they've got now something to push back against, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned voice because that's, that is the one thing that I keep coming back to as well. And that I feel like is the strongest argument I can make to my students for like mm -hmm. what they bring that AI doesn't have yet. I mean, mm -hmm. and so maybe that's kind of the, the thing to think about is, you know, what can you use AI to do and then, and then somehow like make your own with your own voice. I don't know, but I guess, I mean, I guess what I'm, what I'm most concerned about as an instructor is mm -hmm. how can I, motivate them to interrogate you know or convince them to interrogate it what make they're it worth points <laughs> students yeah. care about grades like well, and actually was yeah. I've had this sort of this, this this question has been brewing because i'll be honest and say you know like i have written my syllabi for this semester already mm -hmm. um i have by the way we're recording this in august right it is august yes it is august. <laughs> um and I have in my syllabi, you know, policies about, you know, how I think it's basically, sorry, Phil, stupid to go to college and pay to go to college and use chat GPT or other AI to write your papers. I, I think, mm -hmm. why, would, why would you pay to go to college and have somebody else or something else do the learning for you? I feel like the answer to that is because they, they want to pass so they can get started on paying their hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt. Why not? Why not just not get the debt? Just don't go. Well, to I think because they feel like they have to, you know, I mean, it, it's it's this is a whole other issue. I was going <laughs> to say this is a separate podcast. Is all right. I no, but I do feel like I feel like AI really brings that to the fore. For mm -hmm. me, I mean, because like I see that in my students, I think, you know, like my students who are not English majors because mm -hmm. I teach a required class, you know, and they, they're taking it, they, they want to get an A, right? And I don't blame them for it, right? Because they want to get an A so they can get into medical school and they can, you know, yep. right? So, so, okay, like I, I see all that. And I, and I will admit that right now I have COVID and, and I'm extremely crabby. That's the uh, best place but, to but, interrogate something from them. So. But, but I'm also like just in general crappy about chat GPT. So I want to acknowledge that this is like the path, frankly, that I have chosen. But it mm -hmm. sounds like, Phil, what you have to say about uh, AI 
suggest that it is not just a tool that we could use in our classrooms, but like what you just said to Angie about uh, give students points uh, for learning to interrogate what AI produces. How would you, could, could you imagine a sort of, I don't know, a set of lessons or some kind of scaffolding uh, or some sort of assignment sequence where students are encouraged to think about, in particular, analytical writing that they are producing with AI. So like analysis of, you know, a short story or a piece of art or something. I know that's a big question, but. Um, it's a big question, but the frameworks already exist, right? Like any, because you can apply critical theories to the production of generative AI, like we just start there. Uh, or if there's a particular piece that you're interested in interrogating, before the students even do the reading, ask them to ask G chat GPT for a literary analysis of that work or a, or a critical analysis or a feminist analysis, right? The important thing to do there is to make sure that it's replicable to the extent that chat GPT is replicable. So they need to record their prompts as well as the response that chat GPT gives that response. And then that's just where you start. And then the discussion in class is you as a teacher, like asking, students what they think as a first impression before they start doing the readings. And then after they do the readings, give them like a well-regarded response or critical or feminist interrogation of the text and see how it compares. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that that is likely, and at this stage in the game, that's like everyone is learning together. And I think that that's fine. Yeah. And if it turns out ChatGPT is good at that, then that's something to think about. Uh, and if it's not, and where it falls and where it will inevitably fall short, focus on those areas. And then back to Angie's point, after they've seen like the critical and the computer generated responses and critiques, have them write their own um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from their perspective and why it's relevant to them. And the, the, the personally relevant gets really foregrounded here as a means of like engaging, but not relying on chat GPT um, in, right. in my opinion. Right, I really right. like that because it seems to get the AI uh, out of the way. Do you know what I mean? Like if you do it <laughs> first, there's sort of no way to go back to, I'm, I'm sure there is a way to go back to it, but no reasonable, you know, no reasonable way to keep using the same engine. Yes and no, <laughs> but, but I, but you asked for like a framework for engaging with AI and like how to, yeah. how to get there. Right. So it's great. I like it. Yeah. That's what I've, I made two, I'm teaching a course in the fall that's new and I'm calling it fans, bots, and games, nice. and it's about like narrative and those different like parts of internet culture. And I, yeah. so obviously we're going to be talking about that a lot. And I have one, two assignments that ask them that sound kind of similar to what you're talking about, like that ask them to um, use it to do some research and like mm -hmm. see what comes up yep. and, then to, and then to do their own research and like compare and see, you know, like, so the comparing, I think is huge. Mm -hmm. just, and, and, I'm, and of course, like you're saying, I'm asking them to document everything, like tell yep. me what prompt you fed into it and tell me what it spit out. And then yep. a reflection about, you know, what, what, what is it useful for, you know, like right. what did it help you discover and what, what were you better at <laughs> in terms of finding it and stuff. So, yep. yeah, I mean, it is kind of exciting in that way. Um, can I just make sure to add, um, 
the research your students do has to come from a different source than what ChatGPT or their generative AI found, right? Like, I want to make that explicit right now. Yeah, yeah. Because then yeah. the better they use ChatGPT, the <laughs> harder they have to work on the research themselves. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. right. And then it gets them actually hunting down the sources that ChatGPT made, which gets through the sometimes it will lie to you because it wants you to be happy yes. thing. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, I don't know if either of you have played around with the U of M's version of ChatGPT, but I just asked it to write a bio for me mm -hmm. and it was completely wrong. Really? <laughs> What information yeah. did you give it to begin with? It probably wasn't great. I mean, I okay. just said, could you write a bio for Angela Berkeley, who works um, in the English department and Sweetland Center for Writing at the University of Michigan? Yep. So, yeah, it was and it was all like totally wrong. But um, if you'd given it, the, if you gave it the link to your biography, as well as your. So we're getting into prompt engineering, which is not the discussion maybe you want to have. But if you give it the link and say, scan this site and then write this, that might give you different and or better results. Because you're controlling what it's looking at. Exactly. Right, yep. right. Yeah, right. and there's there's a lot of ways to play with that as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, is... what do, you, do you see opportunities for teaching like writing or language with in terms of like prompt engineering? Like, is that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, because the not the scale but the the breadth of things that chat gpt can do has not really yet been touched on and the example that i like to cite is um you can have a backwards and forwards conversation with it where you where it pretends to be someone and mm -hmm. so like for authors that have like established canons about their lives and like well-written biographies and autobiographies you can say take the role of take the role of mary shelley and pretend you're you and I are having a conversation about this topic. Pretend that Mary Shelley just read this article from or a short story from a student, and we're going to talk about that now. And then I forget what you have to tell Chat GPT so that it does go backwards and forwards with you, because otherwise it'll give you a short story. Um, yeah. But then you can make it so that you say, "I really liked it," and it'll say, "I really liked it because this." As Mary Shelley, I think blah blah blah. So I think that getting back to your question, prompt engineering is really important. Prompt engineering can be transferred to actual communication where you realize I wasn't being explicit enough when I was talking to Angie about what kind of paper we were going to collaborate on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so, I mean, I feel like this actually is, is starting to convince me because I'm thinking back to how I learned to do research and it was all about, you know, and I think to a certain extent still is learning to ask the right questions and learning to ask good questions, you know, and before the technologies that we had were, you know, back in, in my day when the lo when a loaf of bread was a quarter, the card catalog, the encyclopedia shelves, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, you know, we moved to like Wikipedia or whatever, but th this is, another tool of which we can teach our students to ask the right kinds of questions and also sort of not implicitly trust the answers, right? Like, you know, when I was in school, I wasn't like, oh, I should just copy what's in the world book for the answer to this. You know, I, mm -hmm. I need to do more research. I need to dig deeper. I need to yep. consider things myself. So it seems like chat GPT 
and other AI can actually be a tool if you decide to use it as a tool. And part of that is what you're talking about with prompt engineering. Yes, I, I, that's a nail on the head, and you know, for sure, because the prompts that you put in will dictate the data that you get out. And ChatGPT, like their model stops and like. ChatGPT's model stops at the internet in 2021, I think. So anything that happened in the last two years is not within its canon. Yeah. Um, but with the U of M generative AI, you can give it links and then it will add that to its model is my understanding. Mm, I see. I yep. see. So you're obviously like optimistic about it, Phil, and you're making me feel a little bit more. I mean, you're, I mean, I am optimistic about it, but I'm, I'm critical, also, but like they gave me a swimming yeah. pool, so I'm going to go swimming. Right. No, I, and I think that's, I absolutely think that's the way, that's the only way forward, right? Like it doesn't make sense to just, to just be like, oh, it's terrible. We're never going to use it, you know, never. You're but doing I, your students a disservice, right? Like yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. But then I guess in light of that, though, I do wonder, I mean, where do you, if you do see a line between like using it, allowing for use, like trying to help students mm -hmm. use it and like academic dishonesty or cheating like how do you manage that because that's certainly a huge part of the conversation mm -hmm. being had about it you know is is what do we do about this and so yeah i'd love to get your thoughts about that yeah so academic dishonesty comes back to the way that you get around that in the first place which is citing your sources and now i think that so the paragraph that uh, the contextualizing introduction that i had I then edited in the first draft of this was written by a generative AI, right? And that's mm -hmm. how I cite my sources. Mm -hmm. um, and that's in a conversational piece that's informational and it's not like a uh, academic paper, but I want people to know where it's coming from. And I think that bibliographies should probably be appended to like research I did, research generated by generative AI, uh, and they should still follow the APA or Chicago style, whatever format you want them to do whatever bibliographic format you want should still be there, but there should be two of them now. And one of them is like your research and one of them is chat GPT or generative AI, in my mm -hmm. opinion, because then you're still being, then you're being honest about it, right? Like you didn't find it, but you used what you found through this new tool, as Gina said, uh, to, to come to your creative works. And then if the first draft was also written by AI informed by these articles, put that in your introduction. It certainly takes the stigma out of, you know, it, it It sort of legitimizes chat GPT and other generative AI to give it, to give students a path to use to cite it, right? It's yes. sort of, but uh, it brings everything sort of above board as, as long as they're willing to follow the old fashioned rules that we have, which are still, you know, applicable rules. Yep, they are still applicable rules. Um, something you just said, Gina, though, is like legitimizing it. In the eyes of many instructors, ChatGPT created material will likely be not legitimate. And that's still, I think there is still a place for just sitting down and doing the work as well as we started at the beginning of our conversation. But not to use the additional tools that are out there is at some point in the process, I think, is, is not going to help students. Right. I do feel like what we've been talking about, the three of us, without really saying it though, are larger projects that students are doing, like research-based mm. types of things. Mm -hmm. But I, 
I wonder what you think, Phil, about like, because what I kind of worry about with it is um, the sort of more smaller things that we've seen students using it for, like mm -hmm. where it's not a writing course necessarily, but it's more of a like right to learn situation, mm -hmm. right? Um, yep. Where it's like yeah. an intro to psych exam, take home exam, or, you know, a history of art, uh, you know, like that. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> so all those classes, um, uh -huh. I think have an opportunity to advance the depth to which their students are engaging with the material, mm -hmm. possibly because of this tool, mm. or, or to become particularly more applicable to students. Because when Angie was talking about they just want to get the A, it's a required class, so they want the A so they can get into med school. Like that's their motivation. And so they'll do that in any way possible. So like the intro courses and the learning to write courses or the write and the writing to learn courses now have to personalize the material so that it is relevant to the students beyond getting an A. Mm -hmm. And right. so those are many of the sort of required courses. Maybe I, I'm not familiar with the kinds of assignments that get done, but there's an opportunity there for students to get really interested and learn something valuable about themselves, their family, their culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in in the assignments that are being given which maybe wasn't possible previous to um to generative ai being so available yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean and it puts it puts more pressure on teachers but it's it's a good <laughs> it does. pressure maybe right i mean i think yeah. i think that's what this this tool is going to put a lot more pressure on teachers uh, in a lot of ways yeah. i mean like we sort of yeah we all came up with like the beginning of the internet right and so i'm sure that there were conversations similar to the one we're having about the internet where, oh my God, now they can just go and ask their friends in their online chat rooms. Or now that Wikipedia exists, why would students ever do research again? Right? Like these are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I recently read an article. This was really interesting actually about mm -hmm. how, what is AI, what is Gen AI going to do to Wikipedia? And it was sort of <laughs> how can Wikipedia stay relevant, you know, in the age of Gen AI? Gen of course, it's like Gen AI has relied on Wikipedia a lot. Oh yeah. Like it's like Wikipedia is brain all right that leads me to my metaphor question so like we've heard it compared this is a great, i've been very excited for this question yeah, i love this one yeah yeah but so, and i and i think about it a lot right like um people say it's like the calculator you know when the calculator mm -hmm. came along math teachers maybe in in you know in that time we're like oh what's gonna happen you know no one's gonna know how to add anymore no one's gonna know no one's gonna have this like basic number sense Do and they were right no <laughs> i ever really got that basic number sense but <laughs> but i mean do you think that's true phil is there anything to that or is there a different metaphor that you would use um i think it's too early to tell uh mm -hmm. and, and specifically i say that because in my news feed are articles about how I mean, there's an op-ed in time mm -hmm. where a sitcom writer is like, I saw what's coming next and I'm terrified. And I'll send you the mm -hmm. link to that. And then there are also articles saying that like chat GPT-4 can no longer do like math in any good way, uh, but chat yeah. GPT-3-5 can. That's the thing that the generative AI companies will have to wrestle with. And that's the reason that I'm saying I'm not sure if that metaphor will hold. I think for this semester, <laughs> it's probably true. And again, like it, for me personally, it removes 
the need for like the procedural kinds of writing to be done over hours and like humming and hawing over like uh, letters of recommendation and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like those are those are any form chat GPT is really good at basically. Right. Uh, and so I think uh, to continue the calculator metaphor, chat GPT can calculate you anything that has a very strict format. Right. Uh, and it turns out that a lot of writing we thought was creative actually has a really strict format. Right. Right. I, I find myself thinking about it a lot yeah. in terms of genre fiction, things mm -hmm. like that. Right. Like I think it could, I, I think about it sometimes and think, wow, I bet it could write a really enjoyable story, you know, a really enjoyable science fiction, fantasy, what, you know, in even more specific subgenres in those areas. Mm -hmm. I think um, it takes a lot of work to get it to create an, uh, a coherent narrative, actually, though. Really? I don't know how in-depth your prompting of it in stories has been, but I have seen people write pages of prompts in order to get mediocre fiction. <laughs> um, when I think about that, I think, well, wow, you know, they're, they're writing just as much and they're inventing just as much. It, yep. you know, it, as, it, it's just in a different way. I mean, maybe right. it's, there's something about that back and forth between a prompt generator, you know, the mm -hmm. person and then the AI that, that, that really produces like creativity yeah. i don't know and, and gina to your to your earlier stance on chat gpt it's like you are why come to school and pay twenty thousand dollars a class to teach yourself how to prompt engineer when i am offering you the opportunity to learn how to think critically across genres right like reinforcing the goals of the class is probably more useful as long as that's made explicit to your students no, you're, you're totally, you're totally right. I mean, and I mean, honestly, over the course of our conversation, I've thought of like two AI uh, assignments I'm going to do in my classes in the fall, you know, so I feel like I am absolutely having an like, and I, and I feel like people who listen to our podcast, there will be people like me who have this sort of knee jerk, not on my watch, you know, sort of reaction yeah. to but right. I think part of the reason we wanted to have you on you specifically is because you you absolutely don't think like that. I mean, like I was having uh, lunch with Phil earlier this summer and I said, Phil, aren't you scared? I mean, you have children, you know, generative AI is going to like create a world in which your children are in danger. And, and Phil's answer was generative AI will save my children. And I was like, wow, this man is much more positive thinking than I am. <laughs> right, well, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. From a standpoint, right? Because when you say save my children, the immediate thing that comes to my mind, because we live in a capitalist society, is oh no, they'll be out of a job. But mm -hmm. if ChatGPT is is a hundred percent successful, capitalism just dies. And yeah. like party emoji. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Everyone gets a universal basic income because ChatGPT does everything now. Yeah, I've, I've been reading about that recently. That that's that's something that's like coming up a lot in it as part of the discussion. My, my but, fingers are crossed, right? Right, right. I read an earlier article though that was you mm. know to go on with the whole metaphor thing mm. that was um, Ted Chiang wrote about it in okay. like in the spring and compared it to McKinsey, you know, like a, like the mm. consulting firm as as a sort of handmaiden of capitalism saying like it's going to do you know in terms of like it's going to get rid of all these jobs and it's just going to but I think also I don't know if it was that article or another one that I read I've also heard people say well but what that's going to do is just accelerate everything 
and that maybe, yeah, maybe it will help everything in capitalism get way worse before it can get better. Yeah, but that's true of like the production line too, right? Like yes. people yeah. used to like hand make things and everyone was up in arms when like you could start mass producing things and then millions of jobs were lost and people right. moved to the cities or whatever else. Maybe now everyone gets to move to the countryside and like we go back to an agrarian society. Like, I, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I appreciate the vision, the scale at which we're envisioning Chat GPT now, though, or <laughs> AI in general. <laughs> Well, you know, I've just I was thinking about when you said that thing about how generative AI will will save my children. The thing that I thought of is um, years ago, before the pandemic, Phil and I read together this comic. Do you remember it, Phil, by, by Jeff Lemire called Sentient? Sentient. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's a uh, we should put a link in the um, <laughs> notes, Angie. And it's a uh, it's essentially about AI saving children. Um, mm -hmm. you know, in a colony in space. And I mean, I feel like we have a lot of stories like that in our culture, right? Uh, but for some reason, that's not what we think of immediately when we're faced with AI. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. we don't it's because it's of... still disembodied. Once generative AI has a body, then it'll be more interesting. And then I think we'll be able to start imagining other scenarios for it. And like, there's already inroads to that. Yeah. Yep. Of course, there are sort of negative images of, of AI, like an alien and 2001 and, you know. And the so Terminator, et cetera. That, yes, yeah. totally. So I feel like we've been imagining this force a long time, but now we're being sort of, we're facing it. So Ascension is about an AI that protects children in space, essentially. And I think that gets there, right? Um, lightning and electricity. So I'm quoting Bruce Sterling now, who said, Lightning and electricity are terribly exciting. Toasters are terribly boring. Um, nice. The the potential of generative AI is like lightning, and ChatGPT is a toaster. I see. Uh, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, that's that is useful. It is. Yeah. It is a tool based on vast potential. Yeah. Right, that has been that has been scoped down to to generating language. Yeah. I think we need to start asking our students to make something more complicated and interesting than toast. That's been my goal in higher education for decades. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great point, Angie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's daunting, but it's also exciting, you know, as a teacher. Right. I think. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of a lot of people who uh, resist teaching with AI are used to just assigning and grading toast, right? Right, I mean, like toast is, you can live on toast. You can put marmalade on toast. You can have peanut sure. butter on toast, it's eggs and beans on toast. the staff of life, for God's sakes, yeah. I mean, I'll do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it takes a lot more uh, ingenuity, not just for our students, but for us to work with a more powerful tool. Any final thoughts, Phil? It's not the end of the world, and students will use it no matter what. Working at the Language Resource Center, I, I kind of went through this when Google Translate came out. There's, mm. There was a lot of existential crisis around, like, why have language teachers if you can talk into your phone in English and get any language you want out of it? Right. And, like, w the conclusion that language instructors came to was, like, being able to communicate directly is really huge for value in humans. And I think that being able to do any skill directly 
in an unmediated way is is always valuable and those are those are my closing thoughts and so when we start to look at generative ai as a tool for helping me get other stuff out of the way so i can share my voice then it's good when i replace my voice with generative ai then that's bad because i'm not the amalgamation or whatever right I mean, and that makes me think about, I'm glad you brought that up about the language teachers, but um, that makes me think about, we always try, I think, as writing teachers to emphasize things like, well, who's your audience, you know, and what's the purpose of what you're doing? And mm -hmm. that gets easily lost, I think, in the writing sometimes that we ask them to do in writing classrooms. And I think that's another way that this tool is sort of pushing us to really make good on that claim about how important those things are in the way that we teach, right? Like, how can that really mm -hmm. be true? in the classroom? How can they really want to communicate with each other and with us mm -hmm. in this direct way? I think that's a great way to think about it. Like that that's, and, and it goes back to voice too, right? Like that mm -hmm. that's what it really, that's what we have still, you know, that it should be serving rather than taking the place of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks, Phil. We'll check in with yeah. you in like a year <laughs> and see what's happening. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe you will be replaced by an AI consciousness. I mean, I'm, I've got my fingers crossed there too. That would be fine. Uh, yeah, and see, come back to me when I've had to grade student papers in, a, in an unmitigated Gen AI environment, but we'll see. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Phil. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you all. Okay, that's it for our first conversation about generative AI. Probably there will be more to come in the future. We want to thank Phil for all his great ideas and words of wisdom. Yes, thank you so much, Phil. And thanks as well to Pam Lack at San Diego State University, our virtual podcasting guru. And thanks as always to you listeners for joining us. We hope that your new semester is full of discoveries and delights about any and all new technologies that come your way. Thank you.